Let's continue in prayer as we come to read from God's word. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you chose to reveal yourself. You chose to reveal yourself through the fathers of the faith, the prophets in the Old Testament. You chose to reveal yourself through most brilliantly and gloriously through Jesus Christ, who is described in this book in the Bible. And we thank you for this word that you have given to us in its pages, in this word, we meet with you, Lord God, and we are so grateful for that gift you've given to us. Lord, we pray now for another gift. We pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pour out your spirit. Holy Spirit, may you speak through me and speak to each of our hearts and minds that we may hear, Lord God, what you are saying to us. Would you shine your light, Christ, into our hearts right now that our darkness might be lifted and we might see your glory come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon this morning is entitled Light in the Darkness, Hope in the Gloom. Light in the Darkness, Hope in the Gloom. And I think that's an appropriate sermon title for the current circumstances in which we find ourselves. It's an appropriate sermon for a time like this, because if you're watching the news at the moment, it can be easy to be overcome by darkness and gloom, but by the darkness of the number of people who have died from COVID-19. You could be overcome by the number of people who are contracting this disease. You can be overcome by facts like the economy is going to drop by X percent in the next few months. Maybe as you're stuck at home, limited by what you can do, trapped with our own minds, maybe you're feeling the darkness and the gloom creep in on you during this period. And even if you're coping well with coronavirus, there will be times in your life when you will know darkness, you will know gloom, you will know struggle, you will know difficulty. And so this sermon will be very helpful for you as well, even if you're coping well with lockdown. Simon and Garfunkel, nearly said Garfield there. Simon and Garfunkel sing a song where they write, Hello darkness, my old friend. And the reason they write those lyrics is because they like the rest of humanity, have experienced and known trials and struggles and difficulties in their life. In fact, in fact, there's so many trials and struggles and difficulties in life that it really does feel sometimes like darkness is an old friend. It's very familiar. Darkness and difficulty and gloom is very familiar to us in our lives. Now, I do not believe darkness is a friend. But I do believe that all Christians have a greater friend in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that the light of Christ will shine into your current circumstances, will shine into your heart, will shine into your life. And you will know light in the darkness and you will know hope in the gloom. If you're a Christian, I pray the light of Christ would shine brighter than ever ever before in your life this morning. Come Lord Jesus, shine into our hearts I pray.
And if you're a non-Christian, I pray the light of Christ will shine for the first time in your life, that your eyes will be opened to the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you will have renewed hope. I pray new hope would come into your life if you're a non-Christian through the message of Jesus Christ, through the message of this sermon. As I preach on light in the darkness, hope in the gloom. Now, you may remember two weeks ago, I preached on Isaiah chapter 8. And Isaiah chapter 8 is a message of judgment upon the nation of Judah. In fact, the last verse of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, says this. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. All who experience God's judgment upon sin will know terrible darkness, gloom and anguish. That's the message of chapter 8. Those who experience the judgment of God will know terrible darkness, gloom and anguish. But in chapter 9, Isaiah the prophet brings hope. Chapter 8, all about judgment and darkness and gloom. And in chapter 9, Isaiah brings a message of hope. And so this sermon is a message of hope. And the hope is this, that all who receive the gift described in chapter 9, in the first seven verses of chapter 9, will know light and hope and peace. Shall we read it? Let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Remember the context of chapter eight, this darkness and this gloom and this hopelessness in chapter eight is then is then broken by these verses, Isaiah nine, one to seven. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee. Of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So there's this huge contrast 
at the start of chapter 9. The people of Judah in chapter 8 are experiencing darkness, anguish and gloom. They're experiencing the judgment of God upon their sin, upon their wrongdoing, upon the ways in which they've rebelled against God in heaven. But in chapter 9, it says in the latter time, Zebulun and Naphtali, two of the tribes of Israel, will see a great light. In fact, Zebulun and Naphtali were the tribes of Israel who suffered the worst at the hands of foreign invaders. If you read 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, it describes the invasion of the Assyrian emperor and how he comes and invades the tribe of Naphtali and takes away their goods and their spoil. So Naphtali and and Zebulun have suffered terribly in darkness and anguish and gloom at the hands of foreign invaders. But then in chapter 9, in the latter day, it says this light will shine in the region of Galilee, this region that covers these two tribes of um, Zebulun and Naphtali. It says the light will shine in Galilee of the nations. And um, and actually some, some translations uh, translate that Galilee of the Gentiles. And and this term, when Isaiah wrote it, was actually used as a derogatory term, really. Galilee, this region of Galilee, had had a huge influx of foreigners into it. And and in Naphtali and Zebulun, there really was a mixture of Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people, foreigners living together, intermingled in the land. And that was kind of frowned upon by the other Jewish nations. So they would go, oh, that's Galilee of the nations. That's Galilee of the Gentiles. It was almost an insult that they had intermixed. Jewish people and non-Jewish people together, living together. But here, in Isaiah chapter 9, I think it's a wonderful thing. The Galilee of the Gentiles, the Galilee of the nations. These verses are fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, when Jesus Christ, the light of the world, begins his ministry in the region of Galilee, in the Galilee of the Gentiles. And I I think this is significant, that Jesus begins his ministry in the Galilee of the nations. It's a symbol, it's a sign to us that this light of the world that's that's come into the world, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is not just a light for Israel, but also for Gentiles, also for all the nations. We've seen this theme come through a number of times in the book of Isaiah, the fact that salvation is coming not just for Israel, but also for every nation, for every person, whatever nation they're from, who would believe in Jesus Christ. And so Isaiah's prophecy in verse 2 is for all the nations, and it's fulfilled in Galilee. And this is what Isaiah writes in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That verse, Isaiah 9 verse 2, is a statement of the gospel. A statement of the good news we believe as Christians. And and there's two things I really want to highlight from that verse. Firstly, from that verse... The light comes to a people who are walking and dwelling in darkness. It's clear that darkness in the book of Isaiah is a metaphor for 
calamity and disaster and struggle and difficulty. And in particular, darkness in the book of Isaiah is a symbol of calamity and disaster that has come as a consequence of God's judgment upon sin. Time and time again, darkness is described because Israel have sinned and God is judging her sin by bringing invasion, by bringing disaster upon the land of Israel. And so these people who are walking and dwelling in darkness are people who have sinned and they have no way of saving themselves. They're wandering around blind. If you're, lo- if you're in a dark room and you can't see anything at all, you have no way of finding the light. They have no way of escaping from the darkness because they're dwelling, they're residing in this darkness. They're not, it kind of feels like they're not even trying to save themselves from the darkness. They're simply residing and dwelling and staying there. So that's the, that's the first thing. The light of Christ comes to people walking and dwelling in darkness. The light of Christ comes to people who are humble enough to say that they are sinners, to say that they are under God's wrath and under God's judgment. And then the second thing, I want to flag from Isaiah 9 verse 2 is this, Christ is the light who shines upon them and brings peace. If darkness is a symbol of calamity and disaster, then light is a symbol of goodness and peace. When Christ comes to Galilee, when he comes to the Galilee of the nations, He brings goodness and peace to that place by saving people from their sin and the judgment of God. The people of Galilee were blind in the darkness, but Christ the light shone and showed them the way to go. The people of Galilee were lost in darkness, stumbling around, residing, not knowing where they were. But the light of Christ has found them. They were dwelling, the people of Galilee were dwelling under a cloud of God's judgment for the sin that they had committed. But Christ the light shone and burned through the cloud, dispersed the cloud and brought peace with God. All who believe in Christ have peace with God. The people of Galilee were facing calamity and disaster. But Jesus Christ, the light of the world, brought salvation and peace. And so in verses 3, 4 and 5 of Isaiah chapter 9, the people react to this light that has shone. They react to Jesus Christ. In verse 3, they rejoice. They rejoice in verse 3 because this light has come into the darkness. It's in verse 3, the comparison is, imagine harvest time where they gather up the crops and they start sharing out the food and the people rejoice because they have enough food to go through the summer and the winter into the new harvest. And, and so it's this amazing, joyful celebration of food being shared out and passed around and everyone rejoicing. That same rejoicing happens when people see Jesus Christ for who he is, Lord and Saviour. In verse 4, One of the reasons we rejoice when we experience Jesus's light in our lives is because he breaks burdens. He breaks burdens you've placed upon yourself 
expectations to perform and achieve. He breaks those burdens. And he also breaks the burdens that other people have placed upon you, oppressors who have placed weight on your shoulders. Jesus breaks those burdens in your life. When the light of Christ shines, your burden becomes light. Your yoke becomes easy. Oppressors, enemies are defeated by the light of Christ. I would encourage you, if you're feeling burdened this morning, pray now. Give your burdens to Jesus. Say, Lord, shine your light in my life and break the burdens that are on my shoulders. I feel heavy, Lord God. Would you lift up these burdens from upon me? That's the the good news of Jesus Christ, that he comes and takes our burdens upon himself in order that we might be light and free and easy. Then in verse 5, they continue their rejoicing by taking off their battle garments and burning them. They take off their boots, they take off their battle garments and burn those things. And the reason they're able to do that is because the promise here in Isaiah 9 verse uh, verse 5 is there will be no more war and peace will reign. This verse has a future fulfilment. And we know that um, by looking at verse 7. Have a look at verse 7 where it says, of the increase of his, that's Jesus's, of the increase of Jesus's government and of peace, there will be no end. In verse 6, Jesus is born. And that's seen as the beginning of his kingdom or the beginning of his government. And then it says in verse 7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. In other words, Jesus' kingdom will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and continue growing forever and ever. Over time, Jesus' government increases. Over time, Jesus' kingdom grows. From the moment of its birth, when Jesus came to earth, all the way to now, the kingdom of God has been growing, expanding. We see this in history as more and more people believe in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, expands. Every person who believes in Jesus, the kingdom of God, resides in their heart, starts to build in their heart. And so every person who believes, that's another growth, that's another increase in the kingdom of God. And so over time, Jesus' government has increased and increased and increased. We know there's more growth to come. In the future, when Jesus returns, his kingdom will stretch over the whole earth. Now you see in verse 7 that Jesus' kingdom is associated with peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Wherever God's kingdom, wherever Jesus reigns, there is peace. And so every Christian who believes and experiences Christ's light puts their trust in Jesus. They know a deeper peace in their heart than they ever felt before. And so the promise of verse 5 and verse 7 together is that Jesus's kingdom will grow and grow and grow until it will cover the whole earth. And then at that time, there will be complete peace. There will be an end to war. And according to verse 5, we'll take our boots that we've used to fight and we'll take, take our war clothes and we'll throw them in the fire. We won't need them anymore. Peace will reign on earth and there'll be no need 
to fight. Let's stay in verse 7 just for a moment and talk about Jesus' kingdom. Because in verse 7, Jesus' kingdom is not just described as a kingdom of peace. It's also described as a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Just refresh yourself and remind yourself of the hope we have in Jesus's kingdom. One day there will be a kingdom that will cover the entirety of the earth. It will be a kingdom of peace. There'll be no war. There'll be no anxiety. There'll be no conflict of any kind all over the earth. His kingdom will also be a kingdom of righteousness, a word that means goodness, holy good. This kingdom will be completely and utterly good. There will be no evil anywhere in the kingdom. It will also be a kingdom of justice. There will be fairness and equality in Christ's kingdom. He will be a king of justice. And finally, this kingdom will be eternal. Verse 7 uses that word forevermore. This kingdom will last for eternity. This is the kingdom that every Christian will inherit. We will enter into a kingdom of peace, righteousness, justice, and it will go on for eternity. And just dwell in a moment and remind yourself of that. That is what you have to hope in. That is what you have to look forward to, that glorious, wonderful kingdom of Christ. And now I encourage you, as you think about that glorious eternal future, fight for these things now in your life and the life of those around you. Fight for peace. Fight anxiety by trusting in Christ. Fight for righteousness. Fight against sin by living righteous lives. Fight for justice and fairness and equality in this world. Because those values are the values that will go on into eternity. Those values of peace, righteousness and justice. Fight for those things as Christians now because that's what the kingdom will all be about in the future. In verse 7, we're also told that Jesus will sit on the throne of David. We know this is a messianic prophecy, that Jesus was a descendant of David. And Jesus is set up and shown clearly in these verses to be the king of this wonderful kingdom that we look forward to. And therefore he is this, the king of the kingdom of peace, the king of the kingdom of righteousness, the king of the kingdom of justice. But perhaps at the end of verse 7 is the most comforting thing of all where it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I wonder whether you've ever doubted the growth and establishment of Christ's kingdom here on earth. You know, sometimes we, sometimes as Christians, we struggle with doubt, don't we? Well, this part of the verse should be a huge comfort to us. God, the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, is zealous to establish Christ's kingdom here on earth. That word zeal means inner passion and drive, enthusiasm and energy to achieve a goal. God is zealous 
for the establishment of Jesus's kingdom here on earth. And no one can stop the Lord God Almighty. So if he's zealous to achieve something, we know he will achieve it. I, lo- I love this. this. This is such a comfort to me. This calms my doubts. If I think that God's kingdom isn't growing, I remind myself that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will grow the kingdom of God. It will, the growth of his kingdom, the increase of his government, the increase of peace will have no end. The zeal of God will do this. It's God's passion. It's God's power. It's his drive. It's his enthusiasm. It's his energy that is achieving this glorious end here on earth. The establishment of a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. We can also use the zeal of God in our prayers. You know, if we're praying for God's kingdom to grow, And for people to become Christians, we can say, Lord, I know you're zealous for the growth of Christ's kingdom. Would you show that by moving in this person's life? Would you save that person and grow your kingdom? I know you're passionate about this. It says in Isaiah 9 verse 7 that you're zealous for Christ's kingdom. So show that now, Lord God. It's it's a way to help you, you pray, to appeal to God's zeal for the kingdom of God, to pray for impact in our town and in our country and in our world right now. I've deliberately left verse six until last. Because in verse six, Isaiah gives us four names of Jesus that really stir my heart. We're told that Jesus, at the start of verse six, we're told Jesus will be born a child. And so we often use these verses at at Christmas to remember the Christ child being born into the world. Jesus is described as a son who is given. Jesus is very much a gift. He is the gift described in these verses, who is the light in the darkness and the hope in the gloom. Jesus is in fact the greatest gift ever given, given by God the Father to humanity to rescue them from their sin. But for me, the real joy and meat of verse 6 is in the names Jesus will be called at the end of verse 6. He's given, Jesus has given four names, four names in Isaiah 9 verse 6. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so I want to finish this sermon by meditating and reflecting on those four amazing names of Jesus Christ. Firstly, Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is wisdom. Seek him and you will receive good counsel. In fact, Jesus's wisdom is so great, his counsel is so amazing, it's described as wonderful. His counsel is so deep and true that it's full of wonder. His wisdom will inspire wonder, prophesies Isaiah in that name of Christ. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus stood up in Galilee and in Jerusalem and in other places and taught. When he went to the synagogue and went to the temple and he taught, people would 
wonder at his teaching. They would say, where did he get such teaching with such authority? They, they were full of wonder and awe at the wisdom of this man who was teaching them the things of God. Jesus truly was a wonderful counsellor when he was here on the earth, and he still is a wonderful counsellor to us Christians who seek him. Proverbs 8 verse 11 says, Wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you may desire can compare with her. Wisdom is more precious than jewels. And so Jesus, described as the wonderful counsellor, is the source of wisdom, which is more precious than jewels. And I just sensed, as I was writing this sermon, that some of us who have been Christians for a long time have lost a hunger for wisdom. You know, when you get first get saved, you just want to devour this book. At least that's what it was like for me. I just wanted to know as much as possible. I wanted to fill my mind. Sometimes the, the distractions of this world, the things of this world, can distract us from that hunger of seeking wisdom. And so I would urge you to pray for a hunger for wisdom. Pray that you truly would see wisdom as more precious than jewels, and then you would seek wisdom in the place where you know you can get it, in Jesus Christ, the wonderful counsellor. Seek him first in the word. Read the Gospels, read Jesus' teaching, read the New Testament teaching, read the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. Seek Christ in the word and seek wisdom through the word by reading your Bibles. And seek him secondly in prayer. Pray to Jesus. Ask him to pour out wisdom. Ask him for his counsel in your life. And know that the Holy Spirit works through both those things. The Holy Spirit is the author of the word, the author of the Bible. And he's also with us in prayer, praying alongside us. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And so when you read your Bible with the Holy Spirit and when you pray with the Holy Spirit, you experience the wonderful counsel of Jesus Christ. Do you not know what to do in your life? Maybe in a certain situation, you don't know which way to turn. Or maybe you don't know how to spend your time, how to behave in lockdown. Seek Christ. And he, the wonderful counsellor, will direct your steps with such wisdom that will fill you with awe and wonder. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. He is also the mighty God. The Hebrew is El Gibor, Gibar, a title that is only given to Yahweh in the Old Testament and no one else apart from this child who was born. And so we can know that Jesus Christ truly is God himself. Isaiah 9 couldn't be clearer. The baby born at Christmas was the mighty God in human flesh. And the emphasis here is on the might of God, his irrefutable power. In the, in the Old Testament, this title the mighty God, is often associated with God as a warrior. 
Psalm 28 verse 8, sorry, Psalm 24 verse 8 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And so as Jesus is described as the mighty God, the invitation is to think of Jesus as a mighty warrior king. He brings peace by defeating evil. And we know this to be true. At Jesus' second coming, Jesus will return to the earth and he will eradicate evil on the earth as a mighty warrior. He will eradicate all evil. The kingdom of peace that he brings comes about through a victory over evil on the earth. So Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. He's also the mighty God, the eradicator and the warrior, successful warrior, victorious over evil. Thirdly, Jesus is the everlasting Father. Now, ordinarily, when we speak of Jesus as part of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, we call him God the Son. There's the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. One God, one being, but three distinct persons. And so we must be careful here to make the distinction between God the Father and God the Son. They are distinct, separate persons. And yet there is a sense in which we can speak of Jesus as an everlasting Father. In fact, in Hebrews 2 verse 13, Jesus speaks of his children. He says he's been given children by God. And so even in the New Testament, when this idea of the Trinity has been more formally established in scripture, Jesus is still described as a father, our father, father of all Christians, of all the children of God. The other reason I think this is extremely helpful to think of Jesus as everlasting father in the context of Isaiah 9 is that all these names are given to Jesus in association with his government as king. So he's described as a wise counsellor, as king, he will give wise, sage advice to his kingdom. He's described as a mighty God, a warrior king. As king, he will eradicate evil and establish peace on earth. And therefore, I think it's also really helpful to think of him as a fatherly king. He's not a cold, distant king. He's a loving, kind king. He's the king who has relationships with all his subjects. This is a kingdom of love, and love will permeate this everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. This fatherly love of Jesus Christ will come through him and out of him as he rules over his kingdom. So Jesus is the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And fourthly and finally, he is the prince of peace. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, Jesus is described as our peace. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your peace. He is our peace with God. Formerly, we were at war of God, at war with God. Having rebelled against him, we'd sinned against him, we turned our back on him, we'd committed treason against the one God and said, I don't need you, I'll be my own king. And therefore, we'd set ourselves up in opposition to him. We were enemies with God. But now... 
by the death of Christ upon the cross, all who were opposed to God have been turned around and, and all who trust in Jesus have gone from enemies of God to being made friends with God. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be made a friend of God. But if you don't believe in Jesus, you are an enemy of God. And so Jesus is our peace with God. The war between me and God is over. Jesus has declared peace and I've been welcomed into his kingdom and I've become God's friend through Jesus Christ. Jesus is my peace with God and he is your peace with God this morning if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus is also our peace with others. In Ephesians 2 verse 15, so in Ephesians 2 verse 14, Jesus is described as our peace. In Ephesians 2 verse 15, the verse speaks specifically about peace between Jew and Gentile. You know, in, Gal in the Galilee of the nations, there was this idea that the Jews did not like the Gentiles, that they were in some way opposed to one another. Jews and Gentiles at war with one another in a sense. But in Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile become friends and peace reigns. There should be no animosity between people of different nations within the church. Rather, we should be united together, peace together. So Jesus is our peace with God. He's our peace with other people. He will also, as we've heard, bring complete peace over all the earth. And in that sense, he's the prince of peace. When he is firmly established as king over all the earth, peace will reign over the entirety of the earth. But we can also say this. Jesus is peace in an emotional sense as well. In John 14, verse 17. Jesus says this to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives works inwardly to overcome fear in our hearts. And so if we've received the peace of Christ, we do not need to trouble our hearts and we do not need to be afraid. In other words, the outward peace that the whole world will experience when Jesus reigns in the future, we can know now inwardly in our hearts by trusting Christ and not being afraid. I know that's difficult at a time like now. It's difficult to know the peace of Christ and we can be distracted. We can focus on the bad news. We can focus on the darkness. We can focus on the gloom. But this morning, God wants to redirect our attention so that we look at Christ, the Prince of Peace, and focused on him, we receive his peace as his light shines in our hearts. And therefore, our hearts are no longer troubled and no longer afraid. For Jesus is the Prince of of peace. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. Maybe there's one of those four titles that speaks to you in particular this morning. Maybe there's one that you really need to cling to and remind yourself of. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to yourself in the morning. You wake up in the morning. Let's say you're struggling for peace. You wake up in the morning and say, Jesus is the prince of peace. And he is my king. And so I will know his peace in my heart. Or maybe you're struggling with 
worry, I don't know, and you're, you're feeling weak and feeble, and you go, Jesus is the mighty God. He's the one who overcomes sin and death in, his, in the cross and the resurrection from the dead. He's the one who overcomes all evil and will bring peace, peace in the land. It doesn't matter that I feel weak because Jesus is the mighty God and he is with me. Or maybe you're going, I don't know which way to turn. I'm lacking wisdom. Shall I do this or shall I do this? Oh, I'm so confused. What shall I do? Well, preach to yourself. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. I will go to him for my counsel and advice. Or, or maybe you feel unloved, uncared for. You don't know compassion and kindness in your life. I mean, in lockdown, it's easy, especially if you're by yourself, to not know the compassion of others. And we'll, we'll Try and do better as a church to love one another. But maybe you need to preach to yourself that Jesus is the everlasting father. He does not rule with an iron fist. Rather, he rules as a father loves his children. He knows each one of his subjects and he cares for them like a father, a good father, cares for their children. Preach those things to yourself. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Jesus the light in the darkness is all of those things. They are all his names. He's so glorious. He needs at least four names and so many others throughout scripture to describe Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we rejoice like they did in verse three as they were handing out the food of the harvest. We rejoice this morning because the light of Christ has shone in our lives. Our Lord and Saviour has come to the Galilee of the nations and to us. His light has shone in our hearts, revealed his truth, revealed his salvation, re revealed forgiveness, revealed eternal life, revealed his wonderful counsel, revealed his might, revealed that he is an everlasting father, revealed his glorious peace. And so we rejoice this morning. Let each of us rejoice as we we know this Jesus. I can tell you today, I know Jesus. I know the wonderful counsellor. I know the mighty God. I know the everlasting Father. I know the Prince of Peace. And that fills me with joy. It's just a wonder to preach this to you this morning. I pray and hope you would know it in your own hearts. The love of Christ, the wonder of Christ, the might of Christ, the counsel of Christ, the fatherliness of Christ and the peace of Christ. May you know it today and every day from now onwards forevermore. Let me pray for us this morning. You know, why don't, why don't you at home just stretch out your hands as though receiving from God as I pray now for each of us. Lord Jesus, shine your light in our hearts today. Shine your light, Lord Jesus, in our hearts today. We might be in a state of gloom and darkness because of the surroundings and the things going on right now. But I pray right now your light would shine and bring hope in the gloom, bring light in the darkness and bring peace in the disaster to each of our hearts. Lord, shine your light on us, we pray. Lord, for the non-Christians who are watching and listening to this, I pray your light would shine for the very first time in their heart. And they would know the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ contained in the Bible. May they know that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. That his death on the cross secured forgiveness for sin and wrongdoing. And that his resurrection from the dead secured eternal life. That all who might believe in Jesus would have eternal life. Lord, shine your light. Reveal this to them right now, I pray for your glory. Grow your kingdom. Lord, I know you're zealous for the kingdom of God to establish. You're zealous to establish Christ's kingdom here on earth. I pray you would do it in people's hearts right now as they're watching this video. 
And Lord, I pray for all of us watching. Shine your light that we might know Jesus as our wonderful counsellor and always run to him for advice and wisdom. I pray we might know Jesus as mighty God. We might know his power and his might in overcoming evil. Lord, I pray we would know Jesus as everlasting Father. We would know his care and kindness and compassion towards us. And I pray we would know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And I pray bring peace in our hearts. May our hearts not be troubled. May we not be afraid. But rather, may we long for the kingdom to come. A kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness. And may we be filled with hope and trust that you will accomplish this kingdom. You will bring this kingdom about. This is not a faint hope. It's a sure hope, a sure foundation to build our lives upon. And may that fill us with joy. I pray for joy like at harvest time to go out from this place to all the houses that are watching, Lord God. Bring joy, harvest time joy to all the houses right now for your glory, I pray in Jesus name. Amen.